Book 2, Chapter 5 of The World's Desire. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marcel D. Ward, TheSoulExpands.com. The World's Desire by H. Ryder Haggard. Chapter 5. The Chapel Perilous Swift as a bird, or a thought, says the old harper of the northern sea. The wanderer's thoughts in the morning were swift as night birds, flying back and brooding over the things he had seen and the words he had heard in the queen's chamber. Again, he stood between this woman and the oath which, of all oaths, was the worst to break. And, indeed, he was little tempted to break it, for though Mariamne was beautiful and wise, he feared her love, and he feared her magic art no less than he feared her vengeance, if she were scorned. Delay seemed the only course. Let him wait till the king returned, and it will go hard. But he found some cause for leaving the city of Tanis, and seeking through new adventures the world's desire. The mysterious river lay yonder. He would ascend the river, of which so many tales were told. It flowed from the land of the blameless Ethiopians, the most just of men, at whose tables the very gods sat as guests. There, perchance, far up the sacred stream, in a land where no wrong ever came, there, if the fates permitted, he might find the golden Helen if the fates permitted, but all the adventure was of the fates, who had shown him to Mariamun in a dream. He took it long in his mind and found little light. It seemed that, as he had drifted through darkness across a blood-red sea to the shores of Kemp, so he should wade through blood to that shore of fate which the gods appointed. Yet after a while, he shook sorrow from him, arose, bathed, anointed himself, combed his dark locks, and girded on his golden armor. For now he remembered that this was the day when the strange Hathor should stand upon the pylon of the temple and call the people to her, and he was minded to look upon her, and if need be, to do battle with that which guarded her. So he prayed to Aphrodite, that she would help him. And he poured out wine to her and waited. He waited, but no answer came to this prayer. And yet as he turned away, it chanced that he saw his countenance in the wide golden cup whence he had poured. And it seemed to him that it had grown more fair and lost a snap of years, and that his face was smooth and young as the face of that Odysseus who many years ago had sailed in the black ships and looked back on the smoking ruins of windy Troy. In this he saw the hand of the goddess, and he knew that if she might not manifest in this land of strange gods, yet she was with him. And knowing this, his heart grew light as the heart of a boy from whom sorrow is yet a long way off, and who has not dreamed of death. Then he ate and drank, 
and when he had put from him the desire of food, he rose and girded on the sword. Euryalus's gift, but the black bow he left in its case. Now he was ready and about to set forth when Ray the priest entered the chamber. Whither goest thou, Eperitist? asked Ray, the instructed priest. And what is it that has made thy face so fair, and though many years have been lifted from thy back? Tis but sweet sleep, Ray, said the wanderer. Deeply I slept last night, and the weariness of my wanderings fell from me. And now I am as I was before I sailed across the blood-red sea into the night. Sell thou the secret of this sleep to the ladies of Kim, answered the aged priest, smiling, and little shalt thou lack of wealth for all thy days. Thus he spake, as though he believed the wanderer, but in his heart he knew that the thing was of the gods. The wanderer answered, I go up to the temple of the Hathor, for thou dost remember it is today that she stands upon the pylon brow and calls the people to her. Comest thou also, Ray? Nay, nay, I come not, Eperitus. I am old indeed, but yet the blood creeps through these withered veins, and perchance, if I came and looked, the madness would seize me also, and I too should rush to my slain. There is a way in which a man may listen to the voice of the Hathor, and that is to have his eyes blindfolded, as many do. But even then, he will tear the bandage from his eyes and look and die with the others. Oh, go not up, Eperitus. I, I pray thee, go not up. I love thee. I know not why, and am little-minded to see thee dead, though perchance, he added, as though to himself, it would be well for those I serve if thou wert dead, thou wanderer, with the eyes of fate. Have no fear, Ray, said the wanderer. As it is doomed, so shall I die, and not otherwise. Never shall it be told, he murmured in his heart, that he who stood in arms against Scylla, the horror of the rock, turned back from any form of fear or from any shape of love. Then Ray wrung his hands and went nigh to weeping, for to him it seemed a pitiful thing that so goodly a man and so great a hero should thus be done to death. But the wanderer passed out through the city, and Ray went with him for a certain distance. At length they came to the road set on either side with sphinxes, that leads from the outer wall of brick to the garden of the Temple of Hathor, and down this road hurried a multitude of men of all races and of every age. Here the prince was borne along in his litter. Here the young noble traveled in his chariot. Here came the slave, bespattered with the mud of the fields. Here the cripple limped upon his crutches, and here was the blind man led by a hound. And with each man came women, the wife of the man, or his mother, or his sisters, or she to whom he was vowed in marriage. Weeping they came. And with soft words and clinging arms, they strove to hold back him whom they loved. Oh, my son, my son, cried a woman, hearken to thy mother's voice. Go not up to look upon the goddess, for if thou dost look, then shalt thou die. And thou alone 
art left alive to me. Two brothers of thine I bore, and behold, both are dead. And wilt thou die also, and leave me, who am old, alone, and desolate? Be not mad, my son, thou art the dearest of all. Ever have I loved thee and tended thee. Come back, I pray, come back. But her son heard not, and heeded not, pressing on toward the gates of the heart's desire. Oh, my husband, my husband, cried another, young, of gentle birth and fair, who bear a babe on her left arm, and with the right clutch her lord's broidered robe. Oh, my husband, have I not loved thee and been kind to thee? And wilt thou still go up to look upon the deadly glory of the Hathor? They say she wears the beauty of the dead. Lovest thou me, not better than her who died five years agone, Marissa, the daughter of Royce, though thou didst love her first, see, here is thy babe, thy babe, but one week born, even from my bed of pain have I risen and followed after thee down these weary roads, and I am like to lose my life for it. Here is thy babe, let it plead with thee, let me die, if so it must be, but go not thou up to thy death. It is no goddess whom thou wouldst see but an evil spirit loosed from the underworld. And that shall be thy doom. Oh, if I please thee not, take thou another wife, and I will make her welcome. Only go not up to thy death. But the man fixed his eyes upon the pylon tops, heeding her not. And at length she sank upon the road, and there with the babe would have been crushed by the chariots, had not the wanderer borne her to one side of the way. Now of all sights, this was the most dreadful. For on every side rose the prayers and lamentations of women, and still the multitude of men pressed on, unheeding. Now thou seest the power of love. And how if a woman be but beautiful enough, she may drag all men to ruin, said Ray the priest. Yes, said the wanderer, a strange sight, truly. Much blood hath this Hathor of thine upon her hands. And yet thou wilt give her thine, wanderer. That I am not minded to do, he answered, yet I will look upon her face and so speak no more of it. Now they were come to the space before the bronze gates of the pylon of the outer court, and there the multitude gathered to the number of many hundreds. Presently, as they watched, a priest came to the gates. That same priest, who had shown the wanderer the bodies in the baths of bronze, he looked through the bars and cried aloud, Whoso would enter into the court and look upon the holy Hathor, let him draw nigh. Know ye this, all men, the Hathor is to him who can win her. But if he pass not, then shall he die and be buried within the temple, nor shall he ever look upon the sun again. Of this ye are warned. Since the Hathor came again to Kim, of men seven hundred and three have gone to win her, and of bodies seven hundred and two lie within the vaults. For of all these men, Pharaoh Minotaur alone hath gone back living. Yet there is place for more. Enter, ye who would look upon the Hathor. Now, there arose a mighty wailing from the women. They clung madly about the necks of those who were dear to them, and some clung not in vain, 
for the hearts of many failed them at the last, and they shrank from entering in. But a few of those who had already looked upon the Hathor from afar, perchance a score and all, struck the women from them, and rushed up to the gates. Surely thou wilt not enter in, quoth Ray, clinging to the arm of the wanderer. Oh, turn thy back on death, and come back with me. I pray thee turn. Nay, said the wanderer, I will go in. Then Ray the priest threw dust upon his head, wept aloud, and turned and fled, never stopping till he came to the palace, where sat Mariamon the queen. Now the priest unbarred a wicket in the gates of bronze, and one by one those who were stricken of the madness entered in, for all of these had seen the Hathor many times from afar without the wall, and now they could no more withstand their longing. And as they entered, two other priests took them by the hand and bound their eyes with cloths, so that, lest they wielded, they might not see the glory of the Hathor, but only hear the sweetness of her voice. But two there were who would not be blindfolded. And of these one was that man whose wife had fainted by the way, and the other was a man sightless from his youth. For although he might not see the beauty of the goddess, this man was made mad by the sweetness of her voice. Now when all had entered in, save the wanderer, there was a stir in the crowd, and a man rushed up. He was travel-stained, he had a black beard, black eyes, and a nose hooked like a vulture's beak. Hold! he cried, hold! Shut not the gates! Night and day have I journeyed from the hosts of the Apura who fly into the wilderness. Night and day have I journeyed, leaving wife and flocks and children and the promise of the land, that I may once more look upon the beauty of the Hathor. Shut not the gates! Pass in, said the priest, pass in. So shall we be rid of one of those who Kim nurtured up to rob her. He entered. Then, as the priest was about to bar the wicket, the wanderer strolled forward, and his golden armor clashed beneath the portal. Wouldst thou enter into thy doom, thou mighty lord? asked the priest, for he knew him well again. Aye, I enter, but perchance not to my doom, answered the wanderer. Then he passed in, and the brazen gate was shut behind him. Now the two priests came forward to bind his eyes, but this he would not endure. Not so, he said. I am come here to see what may be seen. Go to, thou madman, go to, and die the death, they answered, and led all the men to the center of the courtyard whence they might see the pylon top. Then the priests also covered up their eyes and cast themselves at length upon the ground. So for a while they lay, and all was silence within and without the court, for they waited the coming of the Hathor. The wanderer glanced through the bars of bronze at the multitude gathered there. Silent they stood with upturned eyes. Even the women had ceased from weeping and stood in silence. He looked at those beside him. Their bandaged faces were lifted, and they stared towards the pylon top as though their vision pierced the cloths. The blind man, too, stared upward, and his pale lips moved, but no sound came from them. Now at the foot of the pylon lay a little rim of shadow, thinner and thinner it grew, as the moments crept on towards the perfect noon. 
Now there was but a line, and now the line was gone, for the sun's red disk burned high in the blue heaven, straight above the pylon brow. Then suddenly, and from afar, there came a faint, sweet sound of singing. And at the first note of the sound, a great sigh went up through the quiet air, from all the multitude without. Those who were near the wanderer sighed also, and their lips and fingers twitched, and he himself sighed, though he knew not why. Nearer came the sweet sound of singing, and stronger it swelled, till presently those without the temple gate, who were on higher ground, caught sight of her who sang. Then a hoarse roar went up from every throat, and madness took them. On they rushed, dashing themselves against the gates of bronze and the steep walls on either side, and beat upon them madly with their fists and brows, and climbed on each other's shoulders, gnawing at the bars with their teeth, crying to be let in. But the women threw their arms about them, and screamed curses on her whose beauty brought all men to madness. So it went for a while, till presently the wanderer looked up, and lo! Upon the pylon's brow stood the woman's self, and at her coming all were once more silent. She was tall and straight, clad in clinging white, but on her breast there glowed a bloody red ruby stone, fashioned like a star, and from it fell red drops that stained for one moment the whiteness of her robes, and then the robe was white again. Her golden hair was tossed this way and that, and shone in the sunlight. Her arms and neck were bare, and she held one hand before her eyes, as though to hide the brightness of her beauty. For indeed, she could not be called beautiful, but beauty itself. And they who had not loved saw in her that first love whom no man has ever known. And they who had loved saw that first love whom every man has lost. And all about her rolled a glory, like the glory of the dying day. Sweetly she sang a song of promise, and her voice was the voice of each man's desire. And the heart of the wanderer thrilled in answer to it, as thrills a harp smitten by a cunning hand. And thus she sang, Whom hast thou longed foremost? True love of mine, whom hast thou loved and lost? Lo, she is thine. She that another wed breaks from her vow. She that hath long been dead wakes for thee now. Dreams haunt the hapless bed, ghosts haunt the night. Life crowns her living head, love and delight. Nay, not a dream nor a ghost, nay, but divine. She that was loved and lost waits to be thine. She ceased, and a moan of desire went up from all who heard. Then the wanderer saw that those beside him tore at the bandages about their brows and rent them loose. Only the priests who lay upon the ground stirred not, though they also moaned. And now again she sang, still holding her hand before her face. Ye that seek me, ye that sue me, ye that flock beneath my tower, ye would win me, would undo me, I must perish in an hour. 
dead before the love that slew me clasped the bride and crushed the flower hear the word and mark the warning beauty lives but in your sight beauty fades from all men's scorning in the watches of the night beauty wanes before the morning and love dies in his delight she ceased and once more there was a silence then suddenly she bent forward across the pylon brow so far that it seemed that she must fall and stretching out her arms as though to clasp those beneath showed all the glory of her loveliness the wanderer looked then dropped his eyes as one who has seen the brightness of the noonday sun in the darkness of his mind the world was lost and he could think of naught save the clamor of the people which fretted his ears they were all crying, and none were listening. See, see, shouted one. Look at her hair. It is dark as the raven's wing, and her eyes, they are dark as night. Oh, my love, my love. See, see, cried another. Were ever skies so blue as those eyes of hers? Was ever foam so white as those white arms? Even so she looked whom once I wed many summers gone, murmured a third, even so, when first I drew her veil, hers was that gentle smile breaking like ripples on the water, hers that curling hair, hers that childlike grace. Was ever woman so queenly made, said a fourth. Look now on the brow of pride. Look on the deep, dark eyes of storm, the arched lips, and the imperial air. Ah, here indeed is a goddess meet for worship. Not so, I see her, cried a fifth, that man who had come from the host of the Apura. Pale she is and fair, tall indeed, but delicately shaped. Brown is her hair, and brown are her great eyes, like the eyes of a stag. And ah, sadly, she looks upon me, looking for my love. My eyes are opened, screamed the blind man at the wanderer's side. My eyes are opened. And I see the pylon tower and the splendid sun. Love hath touched me on the eyes, and they are opened. But lo, not one shape hath she, but many shapes. Oh, she is beauty's self, and no tongue may tell her glory. Let me die, let me die, for my eyes are opened. I have looked on beauty's self. I know what all the world journeys on to seek, and why we die, and what we go to find in death. End of Book Two, Chapter Five. Recording by Marcel D. Ward, The Soul Expands dot com.